So today my topic is called Distant Drums. Um, do you hear what I hear? I want to start with a scenario. Let me read out a prophecy. And, and what comes to your mind as you hear this prophecy? Uh? A chosen one shall be born. A chosen, sorry, a chosen one shall come. Born of no father. Through him, there will be restoration. What comes to your mind when you think of this sentence? If you're thinking, Jesus, sorry to disappoint, that wasn't a prophecy about Jesus. It's a prophecy about Anakin Skywalker of Star Wars. <laughs> but prophecies carry through the Star Wars movies. If you know, lah, prophecies carry... And actually, prophecies also carries biblical narrative, the Bible story. And one of the many prophecies that carries the story of the Bible is the prophecy about the Messiah. Messiah means chosen one. Now, um, my slides can go. Huh? There are a total of 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. And this constitute, I'll give you a bit of facts first. Huh? This constitutes 26.8% of the Bible. You have 1,239 in the Old Testament and you have 578 in the New Testament. Now, the theme for this month is, is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So you can guess that my topic today will probably intertwine with Christmas, lah, with the word Messiah. Of course, here today we are sitting down, we all know the end product. Jesus came, lah, of course. If not, we won't be sitting here, right? We know the end product. But, as we look at the prophecies today, we are looking at the different prophecies concerning Jesus. As we look at the prophecies, I hope we will come and see the prophecies in fresh light. I know it can be very dull. Even when I was reading it, I feel very dull. Um, but more so as we come and read it as an Israelite, we will see that actually there's so much more that we can learn, so much more that God is speaking to us. Now, two th I'm going to be very honest. Two things. Talking about prophecies can be very boring. Um, sometimes, I don't know, right, if the prophets are very long-winded. You know, you read Isaiah, right, and you're wondering, wow, he got so much things to say. Or you're wondering if God got a lot of things to say. Or maybe God said one word, Isaiah wrote a lot. But whether it's about God's judgment in the prophecies, his encouragement, or his warning, there is always this aspect, right, that the different prophecies talks about Jesus. How do I know? Because Jesus himself said in Luke, in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke 24, that the Hebrew Scripture, the Old Testament, speaks about Him. Jesus also said that Moses and most of the prophets wrote about the prophecies with Jesus in mind. Of course, there are many, many, many prophecies about Jesus. And truth be told, right, if I read all of them, right, today, uh, I don't need to speak already. And I actually really wish I could do that. But I, but I don't know whether thankfully or unfortunately I'm not. Lah. Um, but what I will do is I will give us a big picture of this prophecy. And hopefully as we look at this big picture, it will challenge us, it will help us to understand further what God meant when, he look, when we look at the prophecies. So, I categorize the different prophecies into three sections. Three segments, are, and we'll be looking at the three segments. The first, if you realize the different prophecies, they always talk about the purpose of the Messiah's birth. Next, the purpose of the Messiah's birth. Now, I will invite... Um, Yo, ah, Elisha to read for us. Okay, don't, wait, don't be alarmed by the whole verses. We are not going to read everything. But I invite Elisha to read for us two verses from there.
ไม่แค่นะโอเคเจนิซิสทรีวัสแอนอาพุตแอนมิตี้บิทวินยูแอนเดอะวูแมนแอนบิทวินยูซีดแอนเฮอร์ซีดเขาจะบูสยูฮีดแอนยูจะบูสิสฮิลไอเซียฟอร์ดีทูวัสวันบีโฮไมเซเว่นฮูไมอัพโฮไมอิลักวันอินฮูไมโซดีไลท์ไอฟูไมสปิริตอปอนฮิมฮีวิลบริงฟอฟจัสติสตูเดเจนทัลส์ฮีวิลนอตครายอัลนอรีสิสวอยส์นอคอสิสวอยส์ตูบีเฮิร์ดอินเดสตรีทอะบรูสรีดฮีวิลนอตบริกแอนสมุกิงฟลักส์ฮีวิลนอตควันช์ฮีวิลบริกฟอฟจัสติสฟอทรูฟฮีวิลนอตเฟลนอบีดิสคาริจด์ทิลฮีเอสเอสเตบลิชจัสติสอินเดอะเอิร์ฟแอนอะโคสเลนชานอตเวทฟอร์ฮิสโล Thank you, thank you, Elisha. If you realize, right? Okay, there are many, many there are many, many verses here. This verses, right, always talks about this verses talks about the purpose of this Messiah's birth. In fact, right, the first first prophecy that Jesus that God told concerns actually the purpose of the what the purpose of the Messiah's birth. Let me the the purpose of Jesus coming. Elisha read for us Genesis three verse fifteen, right? Now, if you if you look at Genesis first. Genesis chapter three verse fifteen. It actually talks about Jesus, the Messiah's birth, the purpose. Sorry. So the author of Genesis recorded this prophecy about the offspring of a woman who will crush the Satan's head. Now, when the pro, what the prophecy revealed to us uh, isn't just why Jesus come, but the prophecy also talks about Jesus's death. It foreshadows the manner of which Jesus will die. His heel will be bruised. It's a promise that Jesus' victory will come through his sacrifice and suffering. So it's to show, right, that Jesus, the the purpose of Christmas is that Jesus will come, or the Messiah will come as a redeemer, to redeem what was broken, what was what was broken or what was undone in the book in Genesis. Now there are other. Now many of us often see that Jesus came to die on the cross. It's true, but actually, if you read other prophecies, right, actually there's more to that. Jesus also came. To live his life here on earth. If not, then his whole his whole life from from baby until the time he starts his ministry will be wasted, or I mean up to his death, lah. But the fact is, the prophecy also speaks that Jesus has a purpose. The other prophecies talks about Jesus as a savior for the broken and the and the chain. So it's not just coming right and dying on the cross. You get what I mean? Jesus came to also break those chain of those who are in bondages. At the same time. If you know our fam- the famous verse, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and it'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So he's, God is also saying that this Messiah that come will showcase who I am, Emmanuel, God with us, to those who are tired, to those who are weary. And it makes sense, right? And you see why suddenly, ah, uh, Jesus began. Who did Jesus mix with? Jesus mixed with those who are very tired of the religiosity of the Pharisees. He sits down with them, those who cannot keep up with all the laws that have been created. Why? It was foretold in the in it was foretold even in the book of Isaiah that Jesus will come to be Emmanuel, God with us, to these people who are tired, who are weary. Of course, the third one is where most Israelites often don't see, 
Um, Isaiah 9, 11, 42 talks about Jesus as a light to the outcasts and foreigners. And actually, right, what that means, right, is that Jesus will be a light to the Gentiles. And, you know, as an Israelite, right, imagine again, as an Israelite, you're always thinking, a oh, Savior will be born for us, my fellow citizenship. It's like uh, we are waiting for, for Anwar to come and, okay, he'll save Malaysia. Can you imagine he can't save Singapore? See yourself, you're laughing. Uh. I went to a camp recently, right? I look at Singapore, sometimes I got this competitive spirit. You know? Hey, Singaporeans, uh, okay, okay. Must talk better English. Can you imagine, uh, we, we, wait, we wait for, we wait for, we wait for those, we, wait, we, we voted in this Prime Minister. And then he comes and says, no, no, I didn't come here to just save Malaysia. I keep saving Singapore also. That, that is the feeling that Israelite felt. Because they didn't understand that. Actually, God already said uh, that Jesus will be a light to the outcasts and foreigners to the Gentiles. So if you read, then it makes sense, right? Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 7, Jesus purposely, right, go to the place of the Gentiles. You all get what I mean? It isn't like, Jesus came, hey, I feel like going to Gentiles, I have to see some pigs there. Okay, so I take the boat, cross over to the other side. No, it was foretold. And what is even more amazing, right, as I look at this, right, you know, when we talk about John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son, actually God really thought of the world when He, when he, when he even then in the Old Testament, when we talk about Jesus as the light. God thought of everything. God thought of Jesus who not just the Redeemer, for the, that is a very generous statement for air the whole world, but God also talked about Jesus as a Savior to the broken, to the chained to the one in bondages. God also thought of Jesus as Emmanuel to those who are tired, to those who are weary. God also talked about Jesus as a light to the foreigners, to the outcasts. And sometimes when I look at maybe the church of today, I mean, of course, this is an afterthought lah, when, I, when I look at this. I always wonder if our Christmas message by the church of today have reached out to this group of people whom God had thought of. You know, when we consider inviting people, did we think of the broken, the ones in bondages, the ones in chain? Do we think of those who are tired with, with religiosity of whether it's their religion or whether it's Christianity? Do we think of the foreigners, the outcasts? Anyway, when we think of inviting them. So invite them, please, um, for the Christmas. They too need to hear the message because God has already thought of them. And so as His people, we should too, shouldn't we? Okay, anyway, sorry for the advertisement. Lah. Anyway, the second segment is the second segment that you that we talk, we look at is the plot of the Messiah's birth. Can I invite Deborah to read for us two passages from this? Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Malachi 3, verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come say, The Lord Almighty. These are some of the examples. If you realize, right, another segment that a lot of prophets talk about, right, is how Jesus will be born, the manner of his birth. Have you, I don't know about you, when I read it, have you ever wondered why? 
that it always focus on this. And three things that I, I realize it always talks about Jesus born of a child, always talks about Jesus through a virgin's birth, it always talks about Jesus preceded by a forerunner. Of course, a child, now you must understand uh, again, I bring you back to, the, to how the Israelite would think. Uh. People don't think of a child when think of God coming to rescue us, right? You won't think that God will come in the form of a child. A child is one of the most, for lack of a better word, helpless. Uh, Ethan, look at the father. The, I don't know whether he's trying to debunk me. But you get what I mean, right? You wouldn't put a hands on, hands of, let's say, our country, of a seven-year-old. I mean, even this year only, we started saying 18 years old can vote. Why did, why did God say this? Why did God say born of a child? God wanted to show us that. God wanted to show the Israelites that He will come as a lowly person. One that people would think helpless. And the fact that this helpless child must grow in stature to be a man. So if you realize the book of Luke, that's why Luke writes, Jesus grew in stature. Because Luke had, did that to tell people, Jesus grew up as a man. Jesus didn't come, oh, I came out as a man already with all wisdom. Jesus had to learn these things. Can you imagine, right? Of course, we don't, we don't have this, right? Can you imagine Jesus learning? I don't know whether they learned this, but can you imagine Jesus learning mathematics in class? Can you imagine sitting next to Jesus who was learning mathematics? Very stressed, no. And he got all the knowledge of the world. But no, Jesus needed to come to learn. Next, to be born of a virgin's birth. You're probably wondering why, why, why so extra, right? The youth voice is this word, so I just want to use. Why so extra that God must send His Son through a virgin's birth? You know, it's very interesting that many of the heroes or the people that God raised, right, in the Old Testament, is always through, through mothers who had difficulty conceiving. You have... Isaac, born to, born to Sarah. But Sarah had difficulty conceiving. Rebecca, call this Rebecca, huh? Rebecca was barren before she conceived Jacob. Rachel was barren before she bore Joseph. Samson's mother was barren before she bore him. Hannah was barren before she conceived Samuel. Why? God works, God always wants to show and work against the odd to demonstrate His power and glory. And, and it's only fitting, right, that the greatest Savior comes even, even in the most impossible circumstances through a virgin's birth. And the virgin's birth, right, is also important for another thing. In Matthew says, Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus could still, right, we always have this concept, right? That Jesus was born of a virgin birth so that he will not have any sin. But actually, Jesus could still be born, assume humanity in totality, and still be without sin. But the fact is, he needed to be born of a virgin's birth. It's to show that he's a representative of both Humanity and divinity, God. He needed to show that He is not just fully human, fully man. 
a virgin birth ensures that Jesus is fully God. Now, the third one is the idea of a forerunner. A forerunner is somebody who, who runs ahead before, before the, 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 the runner. La. The forerunner. <laughs> but, and this forerunner eventually came right in the last prophet, no? The prophet John the Baptist. And, and why, why, did, why did God need a forerunner, right? I'm, I'm very amazed. I'm like, why, why does God need that? Why can't Jesus just come and show you and I was the kingdom of God? Is here. But I thought about it, right? And I read through the scripture. God had a forerunner, right? Is to prepare the people. Because there are so many years of silence, right? God knew that people would miss it. So God sent someone to start telling people, prepare. The Savior is coming. It's, you know, I always feel like, wow, it sounds like very, very, very deep, very intense, right? But actually, no, it's very simple. God just sent somebody to pre-warn people, to tell people, to prepare them that Jesus is coming. And so God had to prepare this, because there's silence already, right? People were forgotten. So God had to prepare a forerunner to tell people about Jesus, to prepare people. So, you know, again, I look at this and so many details are taught through by God, isn't it? Concerning the Messiah's birth. These prophecies are very detailed. And even it was so detailed to the core, right? placement of the Messiah's birth. And this is the part where sometimes it gets a little boring. Next. And with that, I will invite Monica to read for us. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 to 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. Thank you. I always wonder why Jesus had to go through, or God had to detail so many things. Do you remember the first prophecy in what, in what chapter? In what book? Ah, thank you. Okay, I feel sure now. Genesis chapter 3, yeah? And just a few chapters after that, right, God began his master plan by choosing one man named Abraham. And it was in this, through this man, right, God said, I will, I've chosen you to be a nation that will bless others. God unfold his master plan even in Genesis. And then from there, right, you'll see, and that's why I see it, it always linked back to the nation of Israel because God had already chosen Abraham as a means to where Jesus, as part of his redemption plan, where Jesus will come from. I fast forward. Then, as a nation, God says, I will be king because I'm king, I'm God, I'm king over your, over your people and because I've chosen Abraham, I will be your king. But the people didn't like that. They look at other nations and they see, see uh, wow, Singapore got elected. Sorry, I'll tell you Singapore. Hopefully no Singaporeans here. Lah. If not, no. <laughs> 
Then I look at Singapore, wow, Singapore got such a nice election, so clean. We also want like that. And that's what the people of Israel did. They look at other people and say, wow, the king's so handsome. Or maybe it's a bit cute. The king, the queen is so strong. We also want like that. We want a king like any other nations. And so God says, okay, you want? I give you a king like any other nation. I give you King Saul. Of course, if you know the story, King Saul didn't work so well. And eventually, God chose a king, God gave them a king after his own heart. King David. And God promised or prophesied to King David that out of your lineage, I will bring forth salvation, redemption. Out of your lineage, a king will reign on the throne forever. And if you read through, right, after King David died, King David's life didn't really, or his children all didn't end well. In fact, years later, because Israel was so sinful, there were internal conflict and they split. They become two nations, Israel and Judah. And because they continued to sin, they didn't heed God's word. God brought different foreign countries to come invade them. And you know, if you watch those shows of old, right, people don't just kill the king. They kill the whole generation so that no succession to the throne. And you know, what's so amazing, if you read through, God always, always preserved David's lineage. In the book of Hosea, suddenly, right, out of nowhere, not out of nowhere, lah, his name is there, lah, but God says, hey, actually there's one who bears King David's lineage. And so you realize, right, why Matthew and Luke spend so long writing about their lineage. Even I don't know my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather. I don't think I will ever, ever want to find out at this point. But to see that they write so detailed about the lineage is actually a testament to God's promise to King David that out of your lineage, I will bring forth a Messiah. And God preserved even when there was, that seems that King David's lineage will be destroyed. The last one, I always find it very odd, is that God had to tell where Jesus was born also in the town of Bethlehem. You know, you have all these songs, Old Little Town of Bethlehem, right? It's a song, right? Thank you. <laughs> you, have, you have all this, right? I don't wonder why. In, in Hebrew, Bethlehem means house of bread. And it is in connection, right, with Jesus as the bread of life. In fact, to this day, right, Bread is very significant to us Christians because we break bread. We break the life of Jesus. Interesting that God thought of all this, isn't it? When he looked at, when he thought, when thinks of Christmas, when he thinks of the, when he thinks of the prophecies. And you know, as we understand this prophecy, right, we get a deeper understanding and purpose of Jesus' life and ministry. So is this starting to look like Christmas? Or am I boring you all down? So my dear friends and family, what does it mean for us to hear all this concerning the Messiah's birth? So concerning Jesus' birth. I mean, Jesus has already come and died on the cross and rose again, Khan. Why the importance? Why, impo- why, why is it so important to know the Old Testament's prophecies? Allow me to share some thoughts with us as we come to a close. Firstly, I don't know how precise you saw the way God taught 
true about his salvation plan. It wasn't just an afterthought. Oh, yo, Adam and Eve sin. Okay, la, let me just try to do to handle this. It's not crisis management. But God has already thought of this even from the dawn of time. And God has already planned out things. Maybe a little bit slow for us on this side. It takes many, many years and we're wondering why. But God has already thought of that. God has thought everything through. But the second is this. That the prophecy of the Messiah is in fact actually a prophecy of hope. Next, please. It's a prophecy of hope, right? Amidst... Oh, sorry. sorry. Uh, next, I won't go through this one. Next, next. Yeah, so if you have looked at this. Lah. The prophecy of the Messiah is actually a prophecy of hope. Amidst judgment, amidst warning, amidst despair. Now, we don't have time to go through in detail, but I hope one day we will have. If you read through all of the prophecy, right, all of God's pronouncement of judgment, all of God's warning to the people, whenever the people feel discouraged, God always, always talks about the Messiah. Genesis 3 verse 15, before God pronounced judgment on Adam and Eve who didn't listen to him, uh, who disobeyed him, God first talks about the Messiah. If you look at the, you know, of our, the passage we are most familiar with, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, it was actually sandwiched in between God's judgment and warning to Israel. It's a bit funny, but, but I thought, because imagine God, okay, I warn you, warn you, warn you, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son. And after that, judgment. I mean, it's funny in our context. But why is it that this prophecy is sandwiched in between these two? is that in the midst of all this, God wants to give us hope. In the midst of the warning, God wants to give us hope. When we are despair, God wants to give us hope. You know the word hope, right? In today's English, right, um, is something that we, oft, we hope will happen. Uh, sorry, hope in today's English right, means that we want something, we wish something will happen. For example, I come to church wishing that the speak, hoping that the speaker was not boring. But I church is boring. See, it will never happen. I can say, I wish I can go home and wish my wife will wash the dishes. But I don't know. See, it's wishing, hope. <laughs> wishing. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, okay, like, yes, I will learn. <laughs> but the hope, the word hope in Hebrew, right, contains two, two words huh, that it's intertwined. The first is the word yakal. It means to wait. And the other word is kwava, which comes from the word kot. Huh? It means attention. These two words carry the significant meaning of expectation. It means when the Bible talks about hope, right, it's not that I wish it will happen, but that I know it will happen. Today's English, of course, is a bit different. But this word hope is not as how we often see it. You know, we can say, we never studied in that. I mean, last time I was younger, I never studied and then I go to the exam hall and say, I hope I can get all A's. It's different by saying, uh, I have hope in Jesus. So, hope it's not merely wishing or waiting. It's not, it's not 
merely wishing for something that may or may not happen. And you know, unfortunately, people often forget, right, that God talks about this message of hope, this prophecy of hope. I always wonder, maybe that's why God had to keep repeating to the people. I mean, we are a forgetful bunch of people, right? I'd like to share a few stories. I recently came back, my wife and I recently came back from an East Asia staff conference. I want to share a story from a person in my, in my small group. Uh. He's a staff from Hong Kong, Hong Kong FES. The FES is the organization I work with. Um, and this Hong Kong FES, they work with secondary school children as well. Um, I, I didn't bring the card. I wanted to show us, but it's okay. Now, I don't know if many of us are aware, but you can Google it. A few years ago, Hong Kong had, well, they're still having it, uh, a very big riot protest what is known as the Yellow Umbrella Movement. Of course, we read in the news, wow. Or I read in the news, I said, wow, young, young ones as young as 15 are rising up, protesting against the government. Such, such patriotism, such nationalism. I, don't, I didn't see what's more than that. The height of the Yellow Umbrella Movement in 2020, reaches the lowest for the protesters. My friend from the Hong Kong FES was sharing to me of how this 19-year-old boy who told him God is dead. Why? Because his friend who just graduated was pushed off a building by a police. The moment the boy, his friend, breathed his last, he told him, he told my friend who is the Hong Kong FES staff, that God is dead. So I ask, how do you work through this? What kept you going? What gives you the tenacity to fight? And my friend said, because he held on to this hope that God is still with them, even in this chaos. I wish I have more stories to tell. I have one more. I I just, his, his story is really amazing. I wish I could tell more. Another one, I'll give you a, um, to, to bring it closer to home. I'm, always, I, I'm actually very amazed, right, when people can talk about death very easily. One of it is actually my father-in-law. Recently, he had an angiogram, and then after that, he had to insert. Yo, now I'm here. I cannot think. The, the stand. Yes, thank you. The stand. But you know, in the midst of this, right, um, I, I, for one, I cannot talk about death. I find it very difficult. But I thought my father-in-law was so casually talking about it. I don't know whether it's a good thing. Lah, but casually talking about it, I say, okay, what if I die, what will happen? This will happen, this will happen. Or if I don't make it, this will happen, this will happen. I'm like, oh, I wouldn't, I would not dare to think of that. And I had to, to ask myself a very hard question. Why? For all the, all the talk I have of saying, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you'll go to heaven. That hope, right? Has my hope become wishing it will happen? Or expecting it to happen? I had to ask myself a very hard question in the midst of my fear of talking about death. This is hope. And you know, the prophecy about the Messiah, the prophecy about the coming of Christ is always a prophecy of hope. In the Old Testament, the hope of the Messiah came through the prophet's prophecies. Next. 
in the gospel, the hope of the Messiah came through the angel's proclamation. From Acts onwards, the hope of the Messiah came through the Spirit's power. And this Spirit's power next can be seen. Our next in the lives of the disciples. Of course, you read the book of Acts, you will see, but I'm talking about us today. In the declaration of the gospel, in the conviction of his people. What about us today, my dear friends and family? Do you embody the hope of this Messiah in us? Or have we forgotten or have a different concept of hope? Maybe in the midst of waiting, sometimes in the pandemic, or we are waiting for something, or in the silence, we prayed, we prayed, nothing happens. We begin to lose this hope. This hope becomes something that, a wish that we could happen, rather than an expectation. Or maybe for us, some of us, this hope has become nothing more than just words on the slides or books in the Bible. You know, December is, when, is the time when the malls will change. That goes will be up for at least half a month. Lah. After that, then they will change back to red colour and all the Chinese New Year song. But the malls will change. Christmas carols will be playing. You go Aeon, you can hear Christmas carols. Decoration will be up. Singapore, since I talk about Singapore, I talk good also. Lah. Singapore street will be beautiful, littered up with a lot of Christmas decoration. Of course, maybe this year a bit different. This year, it feels more world cupish because you drive through the mama, the mama are packed and hear people, whoa! But, that, but all these, right, are external factors to make it look like Christmas. Or to make it to begin to look like Christmas. What is more important, my dear friends, families, is that it must begin to look like Christmas in us more than outside before we can practice, before we can invite people, we must embody this hope of Christmas, this hope of expecting of Christmas in us. Have we embodied this hope that the Messiah, that Jesus has come? It is not whether we have the event or not. It's not about singing Christmas carols. It's not about inviting friends first. Don't get me wrong, all these are good. Huh? Please do that. We should also share the Christmas message. But we need to start when we embody this hope of Christmas in us. No point inviting when we don't even have that kind of hope. So my dear friends, families, the, the drum beats long ago through the prophecies of old that the Messiah will come. The drums is still beating again. Not again, like it's still beating today. What is our response? Will we wrestle with God to have to embody this hope in us? Will we have this expectation, this expectancy that God has come? That God is here and I want people to know. Because God Himself came down, but He didn't just come down. 
and asked you to come to Him. He came down to meet you where you are. Lord, I thank you that even at the beginning, you, had, you put so much thoughts and details into the coming of your Son for us. It wasn't just an afterthought. It wasn't just a thought so casual. But Lord, you have thought through. You have planned out everything for us. Lord, we, we know we want to bring for you our life. We know our lives are messy. Sometimes we are so afraid, Lord, to give you our lives. We look at our life and we wonder, is it worth giving to you? We look at reality on us and we find it so hard to have hope. We look at the sufferings and sometimes we go through the pain and we wonder, is there a God? So Lord, we ask, just as how you have given this prophecy of hope to the people of Israel long ago, because Christ has come, we ask, Lord, that you will help us to have this hope once more. A hope of expectancy. A hope that when people see us, they know it's not just any other hope, but real hope in you. A hope that expects you to do something. A hope that we know that you have done it and you are our God. So, Lord, help us we find it tough be gentle with us if we are fearful hold our hands if you are tired send someone to comfort us stand different ones to stand in a gap for us so that we will not go out of this century the same we will embody this hope of Christmas then wherever we go, Lord, we want to make known to others that it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.